the world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic-design.com What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, or a special episode of The Cutting Room. In this episode, I'm actually doing something a little different. I'm going to be interviewing Kanan Flowers, and he hosts a show called That Post Show which is different from ours in that it's more of a roundtable discussion. If you haven't heard it, you have to go listen to it because it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, podcast. And just so you know, I was on the podcast back in December and I posted the one that I did with Kanan and Norman Holland. So you can listen to it on aotg.com slash cutting room. I'll also have the link there to the show's website. So here's my interview with Kanan Flowers. You have a lot of areas of interest, and when I was doing my research, I found a large amount of information about various projects that you've worked on, and I was wondering if you could help me break down the various projects you're working on to give our listeners an understanding of your background in this industry as well as others. You know, it's funny. I was trying to figure out the other day how to describe what it is that I do, and Stu Mashwitz has this really funny thing that he says, which is, uh, he says that he's an accidental technologist. <laughs> and I think that's pretty cool, right? He was a filmmaker and he got involved in a lot of things uh, with Red Giant. And so he became this sort of accidental technologist. Well, I kind of think of myself as the, and I think I mentioned this on one of my shows, I'm sort of the anti-Mashwitz, yeah. which is I turned out to be an accidental filmmaker. Although the, the irony there, of course, is that you never accidentally do anything, right? So it's kind of accidentally on purpose. Yeah. Well, you. Well, that's the thing, right? Because you started out in a completely other area. You started out in coding, which most people wouldn't see as going with film, is like a from a obviously from the software standpoint, but from filmmaking standpoint, people might not see it as a an area of uh, crossing. Right. So a little bit about that background. It's 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 kind of fascinating. So I grew up and I grew up kind of poor, and I always wanted to be a writer, and I admired, you know. Robert Heinlein and Stephen King and all of these different writers. And, and, you know, of course, I have a lot of my own favorites like Brett Easton Ellis or Chuck Palahniuk. And I always wanted to be a writer. But my father, who was very stern sort of military guy, was like, well, you know, there's no money in writing. Like you'll never make any money doing that. You'll you'll you need to find something that you're that you're good at, something that you can make money at. And I started sort of bouncing around and thinking about, well, what am I really good at? And my grandmother, when I was, oh my God, I mean, I must have been nine or 10 years old. Uh, my grandmother decided, for whatever reason, because she certainly didn't have the money, she decided that it would be really cool if I got a computer. And this was at a time when no one had a computer. I mean, not really. And so she got me this computer, and for some reason, and I, to this day, I don't really understand how, but for some reason, I became sort of obsessed with it, with the way that it worked, with why it worked, with how it worked. And I found that I was really good at it. I was really good at programming. I was good at understanding it. I was, you know, good at taking it apart. And, you know, I was adding memory modules and CPM and all this other stuff. So was this like the days before, like when you you'd be coding like in DOS and everything, right? Like this is before Apple and Microsoft's interface. 
Um, well, this was actually a TRS-80 Model 1 color computer. Okay. But there was also a, the better memory that I have is a TI-99-4A, which is a, you know, a Texas Instruments, like the Timex Sinclair of computers. It was really just a complete piece of crap. Uh, it had 4K of memory. But I remember that what you could do is they had these expansion modules for it that each had 4K. And I remember that if you took a screwdriver, like a flathead screwdriver, and you opened up the back of the expansion module, that there was a pass-through on it so that you could install another, like a CPM card or some other operating system. And I remember that I, at one point, I don't know how I did this, but at one, because it's such a vague memory, I was so young, but I went around after this computer became not very popular. I went around and a lot of people had these 4K memory cards. And so I, I think I, I must have stacked, I don't know, eight of them together at one point, just to give myself more memory on this thing. And sort of that's how it all started, right? This fascination with how do I take something and, and kind of bend it uh, to, or improve it in some way. And so that, that led to me getting into a little bit of trouble as a youth, which you know has been sort of written about ad nauseum, so I'll move past that. And then uh, working at Microsoft in the early 90s. Now, the thing at Microsoft... I did several different things there, but the thing that I did that I remember most and the thing that I liked most was I was in a support group where basically people would call in with any kind of problem that they had about any Microsoft product. And my job was to try and answer their question. And it could be about anything. It could be about Word. It could be about uh, basic. It could be just any kind of question that they would have. It was this kind of utility infielder position. And that was... To this day, as far as working at a jobby job, you know, that was my favorite job that I've ever had because I, every single day there were new challenges and I got to explore and learn and, and, and figure things out. How did you get involved with this area and, and move from there to film? You know, I was, I was working on Linux and OpenBSD, quite a lot of OpenBSD actually, and I was doing network security. And so I started this company called InCircle and the idea behind InCircle is pretty straightforward. I mean, it does some pretty clever things, and it's still around, and it's, it's quite a successful company. But the idea was, in the late 90s, to just capture and analyze traffic going across the network. And so I wrote software that did that. And so by the end of 99, InCircle had been around for a while, and I was kind of kicking around and thinking, man, what do I want to do next? You know, I, I enjoy this, but, you know, I was, I was getting older, and, and startups are a young man's game in a lot of ways. And so I started thinking, you know, what, what is it that I want to do next? And I had a couple of friends who were talking to me about this product that was coming out called Final Cut. And I was like, ooh, Final Cut, that sounds interesting. And I started playing around with it. And what I realized pretty much immediately was the direct translation of the packets and analyzing traffic on the network to the idea of codecs and frame sizes and and bit depth on monitors and all of these, it just, it all made perfect sense to me, right? I never struggled with what is the difference between SD or 1080p or 1080i or 720p or 23.976 versus 24 frames per second or, you know, 10-bit versus 8-bit color depth or, you know, the, the number of megabits in an H.264 encoded stream. None of that stuff ever bothered me. It just, the numbers just instantly made sense. And so as technology and filmmaking collided, I found myself realizing that that creative spark that I'd had when I was a kid, that idea of being a, a writer, 
I could actually transfer that into the idea of being a screenwriter and the idea of, of working on film. And so I started writing translation tools and color, automated color correction tools and all of these different things and, and editing video and, and, you know, really kind of throwing my hat into the ring in this, in this filmmaking world. One of the things I noticed, you've actually, I guess, fulfilled one of your dreams, which is writing a book, um, which is one of your projects. I guess you wrote Jake Forgotten, and I was going to ask you, um, what was the inspiration behind this book? Yeah, so that that's kind of a funny one. Uh, it, it, actually, I wrote a book when I was 16 or 17. Well, I should say co-wrote a book. So a really good friend of mine, a guy named Thomas Streisner, uh, is a network security guy now. Although, ironically, he's a network security guy because he came to work for me at Encircle and became a network security guy. Now he's one of the top network security guys at MIT Research or MITRE. But when he, we grew up together. We, I mean, I've known him since, I don't know, he was six or seven years old. And we had this idea when we were kids, we had this idea for a book about, it was a very science fiction, yeah, insect, uh, starship troopers-y kind of book, you know, and it was, it was written by teenagers and you could kind of tell. But anyway, we wrote this thing and it was this tome, right? It was thousands of pages and it was just <laughs> ridiculous. It was all single spaced and, you know, it was just nuts. Did you get um, it published, though? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> no way. Not only did it not get published, but I, it, I'm, I'm kind of thankful that it didn't because it just was a slogging morass of, you know, hyperbole and everything else you can imagine that would come out of a 16-year-old's mind, you know. But I just, I remember the, the, the first sentence of this particular book was, and this will give you an idea of it, it was, the pungent wind of detonated high explosives and burning carapace filled the air. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that was kind of a road to nowhere. But I was um, I was in so I'm, I'm in New York in the early. Let's see when when was I in New York? So it would have been 2000. I went out there to see a a play called QED, which was a like kind of a one man show about Richard Feynman. I flew out to see that because I'm a big fan of Feynman. And I was in this cab and I was going down the street and, and the cab driver for some reason took a right turn into this alley and the alley was kind of sketchy. And this guy in like a three-piece Armani suit tried to get in the cab with me. You know, he was just like, scoot over, I'm getting in the cab with you, you know. And, and I ended up taking this cab with this, I mean, this John Gotti style person. And so... He got out. Everything was fine. And then it occurred to me, what if I were this ordinary guy in the back of a cab and this gangster gets in the cab with me and things go totally wrong? And so that became the inspiration for this book, Jake Forgotten, which is about an ordinary guy who just happens to be a cab driver. A gangster gets in the back. Things go wrong. He helps out the gangster. And then he just gets in too deep. You know, he ends up being in this gangster lifestyle that he doesn't really want. And so I wrote this book and I wrote it, I actually wrote it on a typewriter because I really had this, uh, I had this idea of this stack of pages kind of going through the typewriter and coming out the other side with words on them. Uh, so I wrote that book in 2003, well, 2003 to 2004, submitted it to a gazillion publishers, have like 218 rejections, finally found an agent that agency decided to move to all nonfiction, found another agent. You know, it just yeah. it was it was just a mess, right? Throughout all of this process, I somehow managed to retain the movie rights to the book. Mm -hmm. 
And so in 2006, late 2006, I started uh, translate, uh, translating that into a screenplay. And then in 2007, did pre-production for and sh uh, shot and directed, actually, uh, a movie called Jake Forgotten, which to this day is still not out, but I plan on submitting it to festivals early 2012. So Lauren, that was our interview with Keenan Flowers. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic guy. Lauren, for the forward film review, mm -hmm. who's our winner? Doug Carlin from yeah. New York. And got he got shirt, it right. Buddy. He guessed it was the Iron Giant. Yay, Iron Giant. And Doug and I actually ended up exchanging emails a few times. Yeah. Um, he works in as a producer of sports and news. Oh, cool. Which is something I'm fascinated with because if you've ever had to watch turnaround times yeah. for editors in news or sports, it's yeah. quite ridiculous. Next time I'm in New York, the two of us might sit down and have a chat. Oh, very fun. Uh, get, get a perspective on editing news yeah. and sports. Which is actually something you're quite interested in yeah. the news. Excellent. So we sent, we sent uh, Doug a shirt. Yep. In the meantime, we have a new forward film review. And thank you, Doug. I'm glad to have a new name to call out as one of our listeners because I've been calling out the same names all the time, but we've got someone new that we can pick on. So thanks, Doug. And if you are a listener who's never emailed before and thinks it's kind of weird, um, just remember, it makes my heart grow just one size larger. So send an email and, and just let us know if you think that there's anything that we're missing in the podcast or if you want a guest to get a shirt or let us know if you're going to be going to Edit Fest or NAB or whatever. Gord's going to be at NAB and Edit Fest LA and um, New York. And New York, but in I'll Boston. also be in, I'll be in New York too, though. That's yeah. why I was holding that for last because that's the most exciting part for uh -huh. everyone. Okay, so we have our new winner. So what does that mean? New forward film review. Damn straight. Okay, so we have our new forward film review. This is a fresh one. Yeah. Coming at, in at the beginning. If you're a new listener, then congratulations. You're here for the very first clue of this new forward film review. So this one is Tom and Geriatric Viper. If you don't get this, I'll come to your house and beat you up. If this, if this clicks for you, then please email us at info at aotg.com uh facebook uh facebook.com slash art guillotine and uh on twitter at art guillotine and we would love to chat and also we'd love to give you a shirt if you can come up with it also i would like to suggest if anyone has some awesome ideas for t-shirts or wants to like sketch up something for a t-shirt for us or whatever, like I think we need to refresh yeah. the store a tiny bit and... Uh, well, I've seen a couple other stores now copy them. Oh, really? Yeah. So we do need some new ones. Okay. So let's get this done, folks. Yeah. yeah we have to be unique. Yeah. And they have to be fancy. You're not fancy, but... Um, clever. Clever. Yeah, we have to lead the way, not follow. And don't send so it to us if it's not clever. Us, we will reject it. I don't know. Clever we'll scale, it. at least a 7 out of 10. All right, so. Yeah. All that said, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Okay. So this was just a brief pause in between uh, Mary Jo Markey's interview, just so I could introduce Kanan to you guys and get you guys listening to that post-show. Awesome. So next week, we'll have the final installment of my interview with Mary Jo. Yep. In the meantime, I'd like to thank Kanan. I'd like to thank Lauren Woodcock. Raquel. I'm Gordon Raquel. Thanks for listening.